Welcome to the Real View podcast, where Ohio realtors connect you to innovators and influencers, keeping you with the real view of real estate. Whether you're a broker, agent, first time home buyer, industry leader, or just happen to stumble upon our podcast today, you can expect to hear tips, tools, tricks, interesting information, and so much more from the experts in Ohio's real estate game. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of The Real View Podcast. I'm your host, Allison Wiley. With me today is our special guest, Sean Malone, who is a Shaker Heights City Council member. Sean, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, I'm really excited uh, to have you on today. And we're going to talk about Shaker Heights, I'm assuming your hometown, or at least where you um, reside now. And the topic of this podcast uh, actually came up on another podcast I was recording. And I don't remember exactly how uh, it came up. But I was like, you know what, it's such an interesting city. It touches and experiences so many topics that I'm sure a lot of other cities throughout um, Ohio and the country face. And I said, this might be a really interesting podcast to um, have an episode on. And um, I found Sean, he did a great article um, on Shaker Heights and in his uh, perspective of the city and some things that um, it experiences. And I'm like, let's let's get him on the podcast. He is super knowledgeable about the city. So I'm really happy to have you on, Sean. But before we get started and dive into Shaker Heights and, and the city and kind of uh, what we'll be talking about today, I want to hear from you our signature question. What is the best view that you've ever seen? Well, first, Allison, thank you very much for the interest and the opportunity to be here. I'm always happy to talk about Shaker Heights. The best view I've ever seen is a question that can be taken many ways. I mean, the obvious answer as a politician would be to say something about Shaker Heights. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to resist that temptation. And I'm going to say, actually, with the name Sean Malone, you might imagine I'm Irish. My middle name is Patrick. I'm going to mention a view that I had on a trip that I took with my brother when I was very young. Uh, we visited Ireland and we climbed up a, a hill outside of Dublin called Hoth, Hoth Head, and it overlooks the Irish Sea, and you can see over to Wales and England, and it was a beautiful day, flowers on the mountainside. It was just gorgeous. So I'm going to go with that. Love that. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. I always like to hear our guests vacation travels and, and hear about where they've been. And Ireland, I've you know never been, but I know it's um, beautiful and I would love to, to visit someday. So very cool. Yeah. And I didn't make the Irish connection either. So that's cool. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that as well. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, let's get started and, and um, talk a little bit about the founding of Shaker Heights. What was the vision uh, for this city? And um, some of you may be familiar. Um, it's been in pop culture a little bit, uh, most recently with the Little Fires uh, Everywhere book slash uh, TV show that was pretty popular. And we know from that that it was a planned community slash a garden city. Um, so tell us a little bit about that, about the history of it. It's quite the, the historical city and a lot of planning and, and discussion went into kind of the founding of the city. Tell us about it. Sure. Well, Shaker Heights has been around for more than 100 years now. It was founded, as you mentioned, designed, founded in, I think, 1912, designed to be what's referred to as a garden city. So it was supposed to be an exclusive getaway for wealthy residents and who lived uh, in the Cleveland area. No, Very little to no commercial development. It was supposed to be residential only, and it was connected 
by a, a rapid transit line, which was innovative at the time, public transit that took people to and from downtown Cleveland, designed by the Van Swearingen brothers who had a railroad empire, Oris and Mantis, who you know came from the Worcester area and developed. They bought the land from folks who had acquired it from the Shakers. That's how our city gets its name. Shakers were a, a religious sect that lived uh, for several hundred years in this area and, and created the Shaker Lakes by damming some streams that, that ran through the city. <clears throat> but from its founding, Shaker was always meant to be a wealthy, exclusive resort. And that's that's really how it developed in its first, I would say, 30, 40 years of existence. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And it's I, I like that you brought up the exclusivity of it. And for our listeners who may not know, could you explain what a garden city or, or a planned community, kind of what that means and some of the components that go into that? Sure. I mean, there, there's a lot of history in this and there's been, you know, dating back into 18th and 19th century city planning, but it's, you know, lots of trees, um, big public parks, homes that are that are spread out. Again, the biggest thing is very little diversity of land use. You don't have mixed use developments, which are very much in vogue these days, office and retail all in the same setting. But, you know, I think with that Garden City exclusive mentality and design came, you know, an emphasis on an exclusivity. So Shaker was not only for certain people, it was for not, it was not for other people, you know, particularly Jews, Catholics, and especially black people. There were restrictive covenants from the early days put in place by the Van Swearingen Land Company. Sometimes they were in coded language, sometimes they were more explicit, but they often required the consent of all neighboring or adjoining landholders before any transfer of property could occur. And so that served to keep folks out that were not welcome. So while on the one hand, Shaker became one of the I would say wealthiest, most exclusive suburbs in America. I think at one point in the 60s, it was known as the wealthiest per capita place in America. You know, that, that came with a, a downside. And, you know, when black people tried to move in, in in the 50s and 60s, there was a lot of resistance from whites in the area. There was even a kind of a notorious firebombing of a, a couple's home in the, I think, the either the late 50s or the early 60s. But that led, you know, so so there's that that side of, of Shaker's history, which, you know, we would prefer not to not to remember, but we, we, we need to learn from. And, and I think one of the most remarkable stories about Shaker is the way that residents in that community, for example, Ludlow, and then also in Loman, came together, white people and black people, to work towards integrated schools and neighborhoods. Now, these efforts were not perfect. They, they were a start and they were, I think it's what the city likes to remember these days as, as a positive outgrowth of the way our city developed. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned, you know, it's certainly not a topic that, you know, anyone is proud of or really, uh, you know, wants to bring up, but it is important to to reflect and remember. And, and like you said, learn from. And one of the things that I've been learning about, too, is, is redlining and some of the um, issues and, and how redlining affected, you know, some of these racial groups. And I know Shaker kind of experienced a little bit of redlining as well. Would you mind just giving our listeners kind of a background on what redlining is and, and how um, Shaker experienced it? 
Yeah, and I was alluding to this earlier with those restrictive covenants. I mean, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is that uh, lending institutions, banks and others just would not lend to black people or would not show houses in certain neighborhoods to black people. I mean, we have in Shaker geographical divides with the uh, two rapid transit lines running through the city. And so if you're south of the rapid tracks, those neighborhoods typically have been African-American north of the tracks. White families lived there, and for many years, I think there were unwritten rules about where uh, real estate agents would show people homes, um, and banks would often would not lend as readily. You know, there, there's a lot of history to that. But what I what I like to remember about Shaker's history is I I feel like I'm a product of the efforts to try to uh, start to undo some of that because by the time I went to school, I started in, in the Shaker schools. I went kindergarten through twelfth grade. In the Shaker schools, I in the early '80s when I started kindergarten, and Shaker was already a much much more diverse place. I think uh, by the by the '70s and early '80s, I think the demographics were very similar to what they are today. I mean, it's a it's a majority black school district, um, high school more than 50 percent African American, and this is one of the best educated communities in Northeast Ohio, and and frankly in all all of the state when you when you factor in the number of postgraduate uh, degrees held by by residents here. So yes, there's been a history of redlining, and we still have the vestiges of that today. We still have neighborhoods, uh, people that are, I guess, de facto segregated, and we're no longer forced to to live um, in segregated neighborhoods. But people, by human nature, tend to congregate and, and live near those who are have similar backgrounds. So you know, we still struggle. We, we we have, I guess you could say, segregated youth sports teams. We have segregated lunch tables, I think, to some extent today. And we still have social networks. And, th- and this is not unique to Shaker by any stretch, but where people socialize with those who look and, and sound similarly to, to, to the way they do. Yeah. Is there um, any specific intentional efforts or things that um, the city is doing to kind of help with that uh, segregation. Yeah, and I guess I, I use the term segregation. I, I want to be clear that there, again, there's no active right, you know, right, efforts right. by the city or, or any, the schools or anyone to um, right, right. keep Shaker segregated. I'm just talking about America in general tends to be a segregated society. But absolutely, the city and the, the school district in particular uh, have taken some, I, I would say, radical steps in recent years. The school district, while I, uh, again, touted all those wonderful statistics for us, we've got a highly educated population. We've got lots of children of teachers, children of doctors, children of lawyers and uh, financiers living in our communities. But in some respects, we've had a, a school district that's almost been separate but unequal because we've had advanced placement classes and college, you know, honors classes primarily attended by, by white kids. When I was there, it was it was that was the way it was, and it still is that way today. African American students taking the the college prep classes, so that the school district is trying to detrack. They're trying to make um, these AP tracks and honors tracks and available and accessible to everybody, regardless of background. It's a very challenging initiative because it asks a lot of teachers to reach kids who have all different abilities and all um, different readiness <laughs> levels of readiness. I would say. And then on the city side, while kids who grow up in Shaker, I think, are much more comfortable talking about race and, and 
the challenges that race, racial issues raise. Adults, I think we tend to get in, as I said, in our social networks, we tend not to talk about these things. And so I think the city, which primarily deals with the adults in our community, has not really done as much as the schools has over the years. The, the schools have had a, a group called the students, a student group on race relations. There have been a number of other groups where kids, uh, high school kids go into classrooms and, and, and elementary school classrooms and talk to kids at a young age about differences and inequities that are you know, the result of discrimination. At the city level, we, we've I, for the past couple of years, I chaired a group called the Human Relations Task Force. We were trying to find ways to bring people together from different backgrounds and make Shaker more welcoming, regardless of where you grew up. And our work is has gradually morphed into a, a new committee. We, we hired a, a new diversity, equity, inclusion coordinator within the last few months, and we're going to have a, a full-fledged city committee looking at all uh, both the city's internal hiring and procurement practices through a, a lens of um, making them more inclusive, but we're also trying to uh, continue a lot of the volunteer work we were doing on the task force, uh, you know, just reaching out to people in the community and having fun shared experiences. Because I think it can be <laughs> exhausting for people to talk about, you know, have the serious racial conversations all the time. But often it's just better to get to know people on a, a one-on-one basis, build connections that way, Go to sporting events with your kids and have have cookouts and go to music concerts. So we're we're trying to maintain some of that. Let's let's have fun together. Let's build community, um, and then it's a little easier to have difficult conversations about race. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you know some of the things that task force did, like teaching English classes to some international new arrivals of immigrants. Um, I think that that's a really great initiative and. Um, really shows the effort that you all are making on a tangible, uh, in a tangible way to make Shaker more welcoming and, and open to all. So um, in addition to kind of some of the, you know, integration that we're hoping to improve in Shaker Heights, what else, what other challenges does the city face uh, being such a historic city and now being a l- more than halfway through 2021? What challenges uh, does the city face from that perspective? Well, you know, I, I like to talk about trying to make an exclusive city more inclusive, and we've talked a little bit about that. But that's just one part of, I think, a great tagline that I, I can't take credit for, but that the city is, is using now where, where we're trying to modernize a historic city. Because like many smaller suburbs in Ohio and elsewhere, we have aging infrastructure. We have 100-year-old sewers, 100-year-old trees. Our trees are beautiful, but but our canopy is is diminished. Our housing stock, you know, approaching 100 years old. <clears throat> um, and we don't have much in the way of economic development. Well, I should say we haven't historically had much in the way of economic development in the city because of the way it was designed. As I said, it was designed to exclude, you know, commerce and people were not allowed to work in home in their homes for many years. We didn't have many commercial districts. So, you know, I would say we're, we're modernizing our city. We're trying to improve our infrastructure. And I can talk in, in more detail about each of these things, you know, improve our infrastructure, improve our housing stock, and then, you know, alleviate the tax burden on our residents because we are one of the highest taxed uh, municipalities in, in Ohio, largely as a result of our outstanding public schools, which people continue to support through levies. But 
that puts a lot of burden on homeowners in our community. And you know, so we're trying to alleviate that burden by diversifying the tax base, getting more businesses into Shaker. This episode of The Real View is brought to you by the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. Ohio's network of community colleges provides accessible training that accommodates the busy lifestyles of aspiring real estate professionals at half the price of a traditional university. With convenient locations in every part of the state, as well as online options, Ohio's community colleges are your smart choice for pre-licensing education. For more details or to start the journey to a real estate career, visit the education page at ohiorealtors.org and then click on the pre-licensed course locations. Yeah, and I would love specifically, maybe if you want to go into a little bit more detail about the housing, since um, this is an Ohio Realtors podcast, I would love to kind of uh, know if you all are experiencing some of the housing challenges that Ohio is experiencing and certainly um, throughout the country as well, just with some low inventory and affordable housing. And what are you seeing from that perspective? And can you share some ways or initiatives that you guys are working to um, alleviate some of the housing housing issues? Sure. Well, well, Cleveland, I guess I'll start with Cleveland since we are right next to Cleveland. And it's hard to talk about Shaker Heights or any of the inner ring suburbs of Cleveland without talking about Cleveland's problems. It was a hard hit, Cleveland, by the foreclosure crisis in 2008. Shaker actually, I would say, did better than any of the other inner ring suburbs for lots of reasons. We still had residual wealth here. We, we still do. But we also have a, a very aggressive point of sale inspection process in Shaker that requires all housing code violations to be corrected as part of a sale. Residents have to put funds in escrow to make sure that happens. So I I think while we did have foreclosures in in Shaker, we had houses that were torn down. We had vacancies. There were not nearly in the number of any of this surrounding suburbs. So, and, and, you know, I'll just note the census data that came out in in the last week or two show that Shaker Heights actually, our population increased by about three or 4%, I think, since the 2010 census, we went up by a thousand people, which doesn't sound like a lot. But when you consider that Cleveland had dramatic declines, and I think almost every other entering suburb lost population from 2010 to 2020. So I think statistics like that are um, a validation of that program. It can definitely be onerous for, for, for residents sometimes to correct those point of sale and the city tries to to work. We're, we're modernizing our housing department. We're, we've gotten online. We're using technology now. And we're trying to make the inspection process more transparent and more objective so that it's not necessarily based on the whim of which housing inspector you've you've got looking at your uh, your house. Um, a couple other things I'll mention on the on the housing front while we've got home sales that are at record highs, I think, or, or at least, you know, the number of days on the market are at record lows. And most of the most of the transfers are happening without point of sale violations. You know, we still do have vacant lots and, and foreclosures that we're working through. And we've got a, a side lot program, which has in the last two or three years just taken off, which means residents who are next to a city owned vacant lot, often where a house has been demolished, are able to acquire it um, assuming that there are no other, we, we have some criteria that, that that have to be met, but there are no other developers interested in rebuilding, a neighbor can acquire that lot basically for free. 
and this is this is a way um, to increase wealth in a measurable way. You, you're you're acquiring land uh, for folks often who don't have generational wealth to depend upon. And actually, well, now we are we are getting new home uh, development. But I, I think that side lot program has been really beneficial for residents in our in our community. Yeah, that's. Yeah, no, no, I love I love hearing that. I think that's some really great examples of of ways you're uh, working to solve this housing crisis. I know it's top of mind for for many communities out there, um, as well for us as the as the Realtors Association. We're always kind of looking for innovative and new ways to solve some of the issues we're experiencing with housing. So, no, I think that's great. So, if you had to, you know create your version or your perfect or most ideal version of Shaker Heights, say maybe 10, 20 years down the road, what would that look like for you? That's a great question. And I I could probably go on and on about it. I I will try to be brief. I I think I would start, let me finish up on on the the housing thing, which is because we're we're also diversifying our housing stock. We've got a couple of new apartment towers in Shaker Heights, one 15 stories, one 18 stories at this new Van Aken district, which was an engineering nightmare of an intersection. And we've uh, reconfigured it now. And there's a really successful mixed use development at, at the corner of Warrensville and uh, Chagrin where the Van Aken rapid transit line ends. So it's a transit oriented mixed use development. We've got two apartment towers are going up there. So we will have in my idealized Shaker Heights, we'll have, you know, there'll be diversified housing stocks so that people who are aging out of their beautiful hundred year old homes can move into a, a condo or, a, you know, maybe a first floor uh, bedroom and young people will want to come and, and live in a more you know vibrant uh, part of town. And, and we will have a Lee Road corridor. So we also have a, a road that runs north, south through the city of Shaker Heights. It's a big connecting street. In, on the east side, and it goes into the city of Cleveland, but a Lee Road corridor that has all the storefronts filled with small shaker businesses and a, and a much better connection to one of the neighborhood parks there. That's that's a part of town that's that's been forgotten for many years, and we're embarking on a really exciting effort to try to transform that road. It's a dangerous road to drive on, to walk on, to bike on. So that'll be something that we will be improving over the next few years. I mean, we also need to maintain, I haven't talked about our infrastructure yet, but you know, our 100-year-old trees, sewers, parks and lakes, we've got wonderful lakes and shaker. Those all take lots and lots of maintenance and effort to repair. We're going to need to rely on regional partnerships to address those. You know, And of course, obviously, if you want to talk about how shaker is going to look in in 20, 30 years, I hope that we've made even greater strides on some of those intangible things I talked about earlier, building community and making everybody feel welcome regardless uh, of your background. Yeah. And and I think, you know, you'll get there for sure. It sounds like there's a lot of great things in the works that's going to make, you know, this an even stronger community than what it is already. But, you know, despite all the improvements and challenges that you face, Shaker Heights was named, I want to say one or two years ago, maybe as one of like the best suburbs in America to live in, which is crazy that it's an Ohio town, which I think is awesome. But in your perspective and in living in Shaker and being a member of the community, what do you think makes it so great? Or what's some of your favorite things about the community and why is it uh, so desirable that, you know, it's it's one of the best places in the country to live in? 
Yeah, well, I don't have enough time to answer that the way I'd like to, but I guess I'll I mean, I start with start with the parks, which I mentioned there a minute ago. We have um, four beautiful lakes in the city. We've got streams. <clears throat> we got baseball fields that are embedded in in our neighborhoods. So we've got in proximity to, to downtown Cleveland. We still do have the rapid transit, although as I said, it's it's an aging mode of transportation and we've we we're hoping maybe we can bring some other means of mobility into the city and we've got electric charging stations that are pro- cropping up in the city so we're doing a lot of innovative stuff and but it's what i like the most about shaker is that a city it's a city that is is trying really hard we're we are not a utopia you know i think sometimes shaker can be easy to criticize because sometimes we because we do have a, we have a national reputation and we get um, a lot of publicity, and we we tend to tout our successes, and that's as we as we should. But we're certainly not perfect, but we're 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 striving, and we're we acknowledge um, where we've fallen short. And I just because I'm I'm extremely biased. You know, some of my closest friends I've met in grade school and high school, and and just remarkable people that you meet when um, you're in a community like this, and the and the opportunities. Which aren't always taken, but but are definitely there to meet people from different backgrounds and play sports with people who who look completely different than you, have completely different backgrounds, and you guys become friends and and uh, comrades, so to speak, for life. You don't have those opportunities in many places in America, so that to me is the biggest selling point of Shaker that it's it's a city that's not lived up to its aspirations, but we're we're working really hard. Yeah. And I mean, I think the fact that, you know, it's been around for over 100 years and and has a bright future ahead. I think that that says something too. you know, that you do have such that rich history that you can fall back upon, remember and learn from and and hopefully uh, plan, (laughs) for lack of a better word, plan for um, an even better and awesome future. So I'm excited for all things to come for for Shaker. I this I'm a little bit of by of personal bias here because I love historic cities and and I was, you know, reading just planning for this episode and saw that like 75% of the city is registered on on historical uh, databases. So I just think that that's really cool too. And you all have done a wonderful job of keeping that history and tradition alive, which I think is is awesome. And like you mentioned, not an easy thing to do. Yeah. And actually I'll, I'll mention one thing which is in the news these days relating to history. It's all, all the things that I, that I talked to and encapsulated really into one. Horseshoe Lake is, a, is kind of our, I guess, our founding spot in some respects. That's where the Shakers created a dam. Well, they, they created another dam further west a couple decades earlier. But the, the, the dam at Horseshoe Lake has a really emotional spot for a lot of us in Shaker because that's where the Shaker community really started. And it's a beautiful peaceful lake or it has been for many years but it's a 170 i think year old dam that is keeping that lake or has been keeping that lake together and the dam is is has basically failed it is no longer uh, viable and so we've been in conversations with the northeast ohio regional sewer district it's the regional entity that's tasked with stormwater management and they have offered to we have another larger lake downstream. They've offered to rebuild the dam at the larger lake downstream, but they will not pay to rebuild the dam at the Horseshoe Lake location because they can't, they, they, in their view, can't justify spending the magnitude of funds required um, to fix something that's that doesn't have as great a um, stormwater management benefit for the whole region. So 
Shaker is facing the decision uh, whether to spend basically $20 million on our, of our own money. We would have to borrow sums of that magnitude or restore Horseshoe Lake to its historic state, which was two streams running through the land there and heading down the Dome Brook up towards Lake Erie. And it's it's a really difficult issue. None of us on council or in the administration, you know, wanted to face something like this. We did. I didn't run for city council trying to get rid of Horseshoe Lake. But yeah, yeah. when you think about climate change, when you think about what's the the way we should prioritize our resources, I don't know that I could, unless there's a better alternative presented, uh, justify borrowing that sum of money when we have so many other priorities we want to spend on economic development, maybe some kind of a community center with, that could bring people together for for sports and, and recreation. Um, it's hard to justify that, but but we whatever we do at Horseshoe Lake, I can assure you because I'm I'm going to be on the planning commission. Hopefully, that looks at this. If if it is uh, decommissioned as a lake, we'll make sure that we preserve the his, history there in some fashion. That we have some uh, maybe maybe we can preserve some of the stonework that went into the the original earthen dam that that kept Horseshoe Lake together. So that's a it's kind of a we all have a soft spot for Horseshoe Lake and it's been a really challenging issue for us um, as public officials in the last couple months. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that's tough. That's tough. But I think, you know, like you said, just keeping the spirit and the history of it alive, you know, no matter what happens, I think everyone will be glad to hear that and certainly can be all on the same page with that. That would be a great real view answer. I'm like, I want to go see Horseshoe Lake. I want to see the view of the Horseshoe Lake. <laughs> well, the city, you know, the city has had on its homepage and we have a couple every time we do a Zoom call, every lots of folks have their backgrounds with this terrific view, a drone view of Horseshoe Lake in the fall. The foliage is reflecting on the water and you can see all the way down to the city of Cleveland. You just see a bunch of trees and you see all the way to the city of Cleveland. So yes, if I was trying to be uh, pandering, <laughs> pandering here, I would have, I would have said that's my favorite view, but I was but Ireland's pretty cool too. Ireland's pretty cool too. <laughs> Well, Sean, this was so great. Thank you so much for joining me today um, and sharing a little bit about your city and what makes it unique and maybe uh, what makes it just like, you know, some other cities in America. I certainly think some of the uh, topics you touched on today will resonate um, with our listeners. So thank you so much for sharing uh, your experience. Thanks for, for all your work as a city council member and keeping the spirit in the history of Shaker alive. And thanks for joining me today. It was great to talk to you. Great to talk to you, and thanks for being willing to shine the spotlight on Shaker Heights. Thank you for listening to The Real View. That wraps up today's episode. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at ohiorealtors.org slash The Real View and on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Have questions, comments, or suggestions? We want to hear from you email us at podcast at ohiorealtors.org. We'll see you next time. This has been a Humble Pod production. Stay humble.